The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Is it mad that the world burning is not in our, like, top three concerns? You thought bad news was done, but I'm back with more. And Alice Sneddon's Bad News Saves the World. I finally address the climate crisis and explore why no one cares. Watch it on thespinoff.co.nz. I can see the anxiety (laughs) starting to emit from you. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi, looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi, making Kiwi better off. I'm the commercial editorial director at The Spin-Off and the host of the bonus episodes of When the Facts Change. This month, my guest is Natalie Vinson, the chief executive of Nā Tangata Microfinance Trust. Nā Tangata is a non-profit organisation that works with New Zealanders experiencing financial hardship to provide them with a safe, small, interest-free loan to help them start to find a way out of debt. These loans can allow people to escape from under high interest debt, but they also come with financial mentoring to help ensure they stay out of debt. The capital for the loans is supplied by Kiwi Bank with no fees or interest, and as people repay the trust, it recycles money into additional loans that can help more New Zealanders. Nā Tangata has provided around 820 loans, nearly $2 million in total since it was founded in 2009. But the last two years have been the busiest in the organization's history, as COVID-19 exasperated the situation of many already financially excluded families. And in December 2021, they had the most referrals for support ever. And the majority of those people seeking the help of Natangara featured the financial weight of a new trend that has alarmed Natalie, the buy now, pay later providers. Vincent worries about the way the buy-now-pay-later schemes facilitate impulse purchases, which put low-income families more at risk of overspending, especially through the Christmas period. I spoke to Natalie about the perfect storm of COVID-19 and Christmas 2021, about how their loans are getting people out of debt at the same time as building financial capability and financial well-being, She explained how easy it is for people to get into financial difficulty when one crisis puts them into debt and how hard it can be to get out. And she told me about how important social empathy is to solve systemic poverty in New Zealand. Kia ora Natalie, thank you for joining When the Facts Change. I imagine it's been a really challenging time uh, in your space over the last two years. Why has... COVID-19 sort of created a perfect storm uh, and made life even harder for those experiencing financial hardship in New Zealand? Uh, Well, I think, first of all, um, financial hardship already existed. Um, We were uh, working with people that were... um, in, in struggling financially struggling for for some time um covid i guess has just uh shone a light on that um the circumstances for a lot of our clients have actually been the same they haven't actually changed so 
yeah, it's just, I guess people are talking about it a lot more um, and there's been job losses and uh, there's been a lot more media sort of attention around that, I think, or people just talking about it with friends and family, uh, the impact of COVID on jobs and income. So it sort of highlighted that, but people have been financially struggling here for a long time. Have you seen the needs for your services go up? Yes, we have, actually. We've had, over the last two years, we have had uh, huge growth, about 34% uh, in the last financial year. And uh, we put that down to a few things. Obviously, like I just said, you know, people talking about um, financial hardship a lot more, uh, people reaching out for help, I think, um, because there's been quite a lot of talk and media around that too of, you know, get some get some help, don't just try and sort of struggle along on your own. Um and, yeah, I, I think probably that has had the greatest impact. And we've also spent um, quite a bit of time over the last two years actually trying to raise awareness of, of what we do. So those things together, I think. What what do you do? What does help look like? I feel like um, microfinance is a term that's become, you know, recognisable, but exactly what that means, um, I'm not sure everyone knows. Yeah, I mean, the, the microfinance just means uh, small small amounts of money. Um, for, for our context, it's lending, so we do micro loans. But microfinance um, internationally is all sorts of money. It can be savings, insurance, lending. Um, but here at the moment for us, um, we're just doing lending, so small loans. We loan um, $3,000 for high-interest debt, to, to cover off people's high interest debt or $2,000 for family well-being assets. So it might be um, uh, an actual material asset, something you need for your home, a fridge or perhaps tyres for the car or a personal well-being asset. So it could be training or dental care, something like that. So there's small, relatively small amounts of money um, for people that are financially excluded. So they can't access that from mainstream banking for a number of reasons. Uh, and they've possibly got themselves into trouble with some high cost loans. Uh, and then we support them to pay those down. Um, and that has a you know huge impact on their family budget. I think for many New Zealanders, things like, um, you know, a fridge or uh, paying for a course to sort of develop your career path, th th those are things that are part of almost everyday life. But I think what you've talked about is for many communities in New Zealand, those things can be just one step too far and can be a really fast pathway to a dangerous amount of debt. Mm. So it's just small things that can really break the back of, of, of people in these situations. Yeah, that's right. And and Natangata was founded, you know, from the social justice perspective. So we we're not we're not a lender. We're not a financial institution. We're actually a charity. So we're a social service that was established um, to um, actually be a service that. Um, Whilst we provide loans as part of the solution, the, the overall work is actually assisting people to improve their long-term financial well-being. So we, we provide a loan, but actually that's very much wrapped up in the support of a financial mentor to work alongside that person to really look at the context of their finances and actually their, their you know, every, everything in their life really um, and help them to change behaviours perhaps that, you know, have, have, have caused some of these problems or 
learning how to do things differently in the future. And in fact, you can only access one of our loans when if you're working with a financial mentor. So, so we don't do cash loans. It's not... It's not that sort of lending when you think of, I'll borrow money and go off and buy what I want. It's very much about actually um, assisting people to improve their financial capability and hopefully um, avoid having sort of um, debt issues in the future. How much is New Zealand's sort of limited financial literacy and especially the psyche around discussing it uh, a, a source of some of these problems that you work with? Yeah, I mean, and there's lots of research and evidence to support that the financial literacy. There's just not enough being done um, to to educate people from a very young age about um, how to manage money. Uh, and then you've got all of the sort of the consumer culture that we uh, are living in now, um, all of the marketing and advertising that's encouraging people to overspend, essentially, Um so, yeah, a lot more work needs to be done in that education space. And there are some great programs going on. There is some great stuff happening, but it needs to be much more deeply embedded in our education system for young people to learn just, I mean, simple things, you know, needs and wants and, and how to to budget your money. So we're obviously on the other side of, of Christmas now, and that's a big part of that consumer culture problem. How much pressure does that put on communities, and how much can that affect them on, on this side of that, uh, that big moment in the year? I mean, there is a lot of pressure, and we, we see that every day by, by clients coming to us um, for support with debt that has just become unmanageable and got out of control. And I think there's a lot of myths, too, that need to be busted about why people have got into this kind of debt. You know, why, why you know, we hear it all the time talking to people. Um, about, about the work that we do, you know, why would someone take a loan that's costing 49.95% interest? You know, why would you do that? That's just crazy. Um, for our clients, a lot of the time, they have had no option. They have had no choice. If they uh, need to put tyres on their car, I always use the tyres on the car story because it's just so common. Um, they need tyres on their car. They don't have $500 in savings to go and just put their, get new tyres. They don't have access to um, low-cost credit from a mainstream bank like other people would, and that can be for a variety of reasons why they are financially excluded. So they have no option but to go to, to what we would call a third-tier lender or, or worse still, a loan shark or, or a really predatory lender. And they um, can get a loan from them because the criteria is different because they're charging such high interest. And that costs them 49.95% or 34% or something outrageous. And many times these people are already really stressed have got a lot of other things going on in their life. So when they go and, you know, they're just like, I need $500. I need to get tyres on the car. I'm not going to be able to get to work. I'm not going to be able to get the children to school. So they sign up for the debt, probably not actually really understanding the long-term implications of that. And then before you know it, you know, they're paying this exorbitant amount every week, which has got some administration fees included in it and an establishment fee. And before long, it gets unmanageable because possibly another crisis comes up and then they need to borrow some more money or they lose a job or their hours are cut back. And that's what we saw quite a lot 
with COVID, you know, people, um, I mean, 80% of our clients receive a benefit, but many of them do um, casual work or part-time work to top up that income. And, and that was cut during COVID. So suddenly then your income changes, you've got this high interest debt and it all becomes unmanageable. You start missing payments. So then you get default fees and, you know, they're, they're really in trouble. So I think there's some myths that need to be busted about why people actually would take on that kind of lending, it's not necessarily because they want to or because they've overspent. It's actually because they're just trying to live and that's the only option they have available to them. So I think that's really important that people understand how and why some others get involved in this. Of course, there are people that are just not managing their money well and, and are getting into that sort of overspending culture and, again, have taken on some debt that... Um, it's just too hard to manage. And we're seeing a lot of that now with the buy now, pay later services because they're, because at the moment they're unregulated. Buy now, pay later is really interesting. It's marketed as a no fees, really um, smart and fair way to help uh, stretch the cost of something over a um, period of time. I, I, I find it really useful. Um, why can it be misleading? Why does that offer seem so appealing but in the end, cause so much damage to some people? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I, I think that, uh, you know, there are benefits to, to buy now, pay later. I mean, we would certainly rather that um, someone bought, you know, their tyres over a six-week period uh, with no interest and no fees and paid it down than go and get a loan of $500 at 50%. Um, the problem that we that we are seeing is when it's because it's not regulated at all because they're not charging interest or um, fees it doesn't come under the credit contracts act so there's no there's no sort of um, affordability assessments on people to to see whether they can actually afford that because whilst the buy now pay laters might suggest that it's not credit if you've bought something, you've taken it away and you owe somebody money for it, it's a debt. So, so you're indebted to them. Um, and without that having any restrictions in place for the people that we see, it's becoming, it's very easy to get engaged in a buy now, pay later service. You can get um, connected to all the providers they don't talk to each other that, you know, I mean, you couldn't do that with a credit card, right? You'd have a credit card um, and you might go to apply for another one and they'll go, oh, well, you've already got one. You've got too many or, or something of that nature. You could be across all the buy now, pay later providers um, and have a couple of hundred dollars or up to, if you've been repaying really well, up to $2,000. So, and there's been no affordability assessment around that of whether that person can actually manage those repayments. And they become, they can become out of control really quickly and we now see them on just about every debt relief application that we get that people are subscribed to one or more by now pay later services. So is it just an example of um, technology and a, and a good idea sort of outpacing evolution and that meaning it, it, it creates uh, a problem almost specifically for people experiencing existing financial hardship? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it is innovative and it's really, you know, it is fast and it's, you know, there are there are benefits. We see that there are benefits so long as it's actually there's um, boundaries in place to protect those who um, 
may get into financial hardship or, or are really already in financial hardship. The other thing is, of course, it's so widely spread now. There's, you can buy now, pay later, so many things. You know, we see uh, our clients using the services for essential living, you know, like the, the butcher and um, food from other, you know, fruit and veggie places and things like that. Like it's, um, it's not just for... Um, fun stuff it's actually being used for day-to-day living and that causes us concern because we believe that if, if somebody is actually needing to buy now pay later their meat um, it's an indicator that they may be experiencing financial hardship so we think there needs to be some regulations around it now we had a, a case the other day where um, a, a client had 23 buy now pay later payments going out of her account in a week Wow. That's that's just so hard to keep track of. Now, if she, she misses some of those payments, she'll get a default fee added to each of those. Um, and again, before you know it, it's just spiralled out of control. And the reason she has 23 payments is because she's subscribed to four different providers and um, she'd made, you know, lots of small purchases from, from each from each one and then all the payments come out one week, 23. I mean, I would struggle to keep track of 23 payments a week, you know? So what does good regulation of the space look like for you? Um, we have, so the government has um, put out a discussion paper on Buy Now, Pay Later and um, submissions for that closed on the 16th of December. So we, uh, us along with other people who work in the community finance space, um, did make a submission and we would like to see that it is fully regulated under the triple CFA, probably with some exemptions because, you know, it's it's a unique product. Um, but certainly that there are rigorous affordability assessments for people signing up. Um, and also that the providers are each sort of talking to each other. There's um, comprehensive credit reporting. So you can actually see um, where, a, where a person is positioned with their personal finances before you just let them... Um, get another, another service added to their list or give them um, a credit increase because that happens at the moment. They, um, you don't actually apply for an increase. I mean, I guess you can apply, but that's not always how it works. Actually, if you've been repaying really well, they'll just say, oh, here's another couple of hundred dollars to your credit limit. Um, you know, we, that, needs, that needs to stop. Um, because if a person's they're saying, oh, you know, you're repaying really well, we'll top up your credit. But what we know is that people who are making repayments or just because a person is making repayments on time does not actually mean that they can afford that. They could be very carefully making sure that they're making the repayments on their buy now, pay later so they don't lose access to that service or they don't get any default fees, but they could actually be missing paying other bills that are coming into their household. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's KiwiBank's Chief Economist Jared Kerr with his prediction on what we can expect from the housing market and interest rates for 2024. We've seen quite a correction in housing across the country. So house prices fell from the lofty levels that we saw in 2021. The Reserve Bank has pushed house prices down by design and by lifting interest rates to very eye-watering levels. 
I think the housing market has found a bottom, and I think we'll see house prices rising over 2024 and into 25, 26. The housing market will be better balanced. We have seen a, a surge in migrants, which is adding demand to the housing market. And I think we'll see house prices naturally lift on the back of that surge in migration and uh, hopefully an easing in interest rates later on. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Jared and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Skinny are helping you show how smart you are with the 1Q Quiz, an all-new, super-challenging and super-quick daily quiz built by The Spin-Off. Every Monday, Skinny are giving you the chance to prove you're smart with the Skinny Extra Credit question. Get it right, and you'll get the chance to score yourself some Skinny Extra mobile credit so you can text, call, or even video call your group chat and gloat about how big your brain is. T's and C's apply. Buy Now Pay Later is another space where I've seen uh, people not choose to understand its um, potential problems. And, you know, they said there's no fees. If you pay it back on time, you're fine. Why is that social empathy that you talked about, um, that willingness to see uh, the perspective of, of people in a different situation to your own, really important uh, to you and to helping solve this problem more systemically? I think I, th- I think yeah I, th- I think it's critical to solving the problem actually is that people do get an understanding and do have that sense of empathy that you know there are people that are actually struggling to make ends meet and are actually going backwards every week we can't you know we can't make any change until people acknowledge that and whilst again there are people who are overspending um There are other people, and I would say the majority of our clients, are people that are trying to do their best, are actually trying to provide for their families and to pay their bills on time, and there simply is not enough money. You know, there's the costs have gone. Costs have gone up. Housing is really expensive. Um, they they actually just can't live on what they're receiving, and that needs that needs to change. And what does that deeper base level social change look like? Oh, well, I think we need to pay people more. I think our benefits need to be higher and we need to pay people more. To me, it seems, (laughs) I know it's a lot more complex than that, but to me, it seems really simple. You know, um, pay people so that they can afford to not just survive day to day, but actually thrive. You know, the, the, the fact that you can't actually put $500 aside for your tyres or your washing machine, um, that you, you that they're even put in a position that they have to actually go out looking to lend money to, you know, there's no buffer, um, is just cruel. Because what are the long-term implications of, of, of really deep, ongoing, permanent debt? How does that affect people? Oh, look, it's, it's the, you know, it is, is one of the critical factors in, in, 
poverty and it affects absolutely everything in their lives and we we know from some research that we did did actually on the impact of our work the biggest change by people actually resolving some of their high interest debt and actually managing their money in surplus every week was the improvement to their mental health it went up something like 64 percent because people you you just can't function properly when you've actually got creditors banging on your door or you're worrying about how you're going to put some gas in the car or worrying about how you're going to get food you know it's you I mean I've heard people talk about it you as a as a bandwidth you know you, your bandwidth becomes incredibly narrow you can't think about anything else and we know that the children suffer because of that you know their health and well-being is affected when the parents are struggling with debt um, when they can't actually afford to you know buy the essential life items that you need Um, so I think that's the most critical thing it affects your overall well-being and I think talking about children shows the way that this problem can be cyclical as well. They, um, it, it means people and in, in families experiencing financial hardship don't have the opportunity to give children the opportunities they need to um, help break out of the cycle as well. And that must be a really um, sort of scary part of, of, of being in this situation. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, if, that, if, if that's what children are growing up feeling like they never, they, they don't have enough or they're seeing their parents struggling all the time. It's, you know, there's a lot of pressure on those those children. And I know um, during the COVID lockdowns uh, or, you know, when people were not, uh, young people were not going to school um, and then suddenly they could go back to school, a lot of those sort of young teens weren't actually going back to school because they were taking on jobs to help the family and help support the family financially. And, I mean, that's completely unacceptable. You know, those children should be in school getting an education, um, not doing a part-time job and staying at that job because that's contributing to the family finances. And I'm not meaning that in the sense of children shouldn't have part-time jobs, meaning in when that's become a, a core piece of their existence is actually to help the parents run the household and their, you know, young teens. Are you seeing the work you do have long-term benefits in breaking that cycle and, and helping empower people to take control of their uh, financial futures? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're all about enabling people. Um, we want to enable them to improve their financial capability. And that's why our model is um, built around the financial mentoring network across New Zealand. So there's about 900 financial mentors, um, which are part of budget services. And, and that's all a free service, for the most part funded um, by the government. And any, you, you can make an appointment at any of those services and go in and get support, which is f- fantastic. And that's actually how it would be through working with a financial mentor that the mentor might say to the client, you know, I think a, a part of the solution for you could be a Natangata microfinance loan, and that could really help you. Um, and so, yeah, we know that that has um, a massive impact on um, the, the people that we serve. You know, they could they could have a debt. Uh, the average debt people come to us with is about eighteen thousand dollars. Wow! Uh, and and these are these are low income. So we only work with low income New Zealanders. Eighty percent of our clients uh, receive a benefit, and they have an average of eighteen thousand dollars of debt 
which is just huge. And we obviously can't lend to that amount, but what we can do and what we try to do is take out a chunk of that really high interest debt um, and get that cleared up for them. So whilst they may have $3,000 to someone who's charging them 49% interest, we can clear that debt and then they repay us um, over a two-year period, usually a two-year period for a loan of $3,000 and uh, no interest and no fees. And of course, straight away that puts their budget into surplus because they're not covering that high interest debt. I imagine it feels like a burden lifted as well and gives you the headspace to be able to start carving into the rest of that $18,000. That's right. And and actually a burden is the word that's um, used a lot. You know, we we get hear that from clients all the time. You've relieved us of this burden. Um, And yeah, we get some amazing stories of how, you know, it sounds like a small amount of money, but it's it's $3,000 can be a complete game changer for some families. The, the other thing that we um, are able to do a lot of the time too alongside the financial mentors is negotiate with creditors. So we can actually often get some of that debt written off um, and like we might see, you know, they may have $7,000 to a creditor and we might say, well, look, how about um, you drop that down to We've had some really good ones where they've dropped it down to three and we can actually clear the entire debt. So that's, it's, it's having the advocate, right, that person that's actually walking alongside you in that journey and saying, you know what, we can, we can do, we can ask some tough questions of these creditors and we can really, you know, walk alongside you and ch- change your future. It's interesting how powerful it can be to have someone listen to you and uh, then help you um, work through some of those problems that you have, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, financial the financial sector is, is um, I think it's a little bit scary and a bit intimidating for a lot of people, you know, going into a bank and you, you, f- you feel a little bit that nervous and to, to talk to your um, lender and, you know, to say that you're actually having some trouble, can I get some help? So um, a financial mentor is a, a huge support for people to actually, you know, advocate for them and and support them through that journey because it can be quite intimidating. Do you know how many people you are working with at the moment? How big your client list is? Yeah, at the moment we've got uh, 350 um, loans on our loan book and 350 current clients. Um, And I can tell you that last month, uh, so December, um, we uh, had 580 inquiries through our website Wow. And that, uh, usually we would get maybe between 40 and 60. 580 people self-referred through our website looking for support, which is amazing. Is that alarming or is that a positive step as soon as people start looking for help? Yeah, I think it's actually a little bit of a combination of both. It was pretty alarming. Um, We had done some campaigning um, with uh, Sorted and um, pre-Christmas to sort of encourage people to to reach out for support um, before they sort of went and got themselves um, hooked into some really expensive debt pre-Christmas. So there was a bit of a, an awareness campaign. So I think that drove a little bit, a little bit of that, but equally, I think it's encouraging that people have actually listened to that and have reached out for some support. So it's alarming that the number's that high, but equally encouraging that actually people have listened 
and said, yeah, you know what, I'm going to, I'm actually going to reach out for some help. Yeah, asking for help is often a, a huge first step in, in, in most of the problems we deal with in our lives, right? Yeah, indeed. Do you have enough, do you have enough resource to look after that amount of need? No. <laughs> I knew the answer to that question. I've worked in the charity space before and I know everyone's always, you know, working beyond what they have, right? Does any charity have enough resource? Actually, that's not, look, we are incredibly um, well looked after by Kiwi Bank. Kiwi Bank provide the capital for our loans um, and uh, they've been a great support for us since the very beginning um, of our, when we started. Um, so they provide the capital and then we, to, to operate, we funded, previously we were funded by the J.R. McKenzie Trust, so they were amazing for about nine years. They actually supported our operations and in the last couple of years we've actually had a contract from the Ministry of Social Development to um, for our operating expenses. So in answer to your question, do we have enough, um, we uh, actually exhausted all of our capital allocation uh, a few months ago and Kiwi Bank um, very generously um, furthered that support. So we do have uh, enough capital to actually keep operating and um, get more loans out to um, the communities that need it. Um, and operationally, um, you know, depending on how, how much we, we do scale, we will be looking for further investment to, to operate. We run a we run a really tight ship and we're a very small team. Most most of us just work part-time. Well, small team making a really big impact. Uh, I've been really um, in awe of the way you speak about this and the, the, the impact that you're having. So I really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak to us today. Thank you. I uh, appreciate you um, talking about this and, and hopefully getting more people to understand what it's actually like out there. Thank you so much for joining When the Facts Change. That's Natalie Vincent, CEO of Natangata Microfinance. Thank you. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spinoff Podcast Network together with Kiwi Bank. Find out more about Kiwi making Kiwi better off at kiwibank.co.nz. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.